Pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged but changed. Our desire here at Heart Seas Family Life Church is to see people grow and develop in their walk with God, for all to enter into His best for their lives. For more information in regards to the church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We pray that you will be blessed. Jesus. She's been nervous all week about this, which is a good sign for anybody that's going to speak because that means they're not relying on themselves, that they are relying on God to deliver what it is he has to deliver. And I told her, I said, that's good. That means that the rest of us that are listening to you, God has something for us. So I'm looking forward to what she has to say. Not only is she a good Bible scholar and she's very knowledgeable, but she lives the word and she teaches from personal experience. So I always feel comfortable knowing that I'm listening to somebody who's already walked the walk of where I may not have gone or where I am going. So from this point on, I'm going to introduce to some and present to others somebody that I love dearly. That's Miss Sherry Blattenberger. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, good morning to you. Happy Mother's Day. I have to say thank you to Philip and Miss D and Kayla for letting me minister today. It's always a privilege. Mother's Day is a very special day for me. Um, I know a lot of people say, I might not be here if it wasn't for my mother's prayers. I can tell you for sure that I would not be here without my mother's prayers. And even though she passed away several years ago, I can still feel her sometimes sitting on my shoulder. And I can tell you that for sure because very often I hear her words coming out of my mouth. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When I was younger, I said, I'm never going to make my kids eat that. I'm never going to say that to my children. I'm never going to make them wear their hair that way. And here I am. Not too long ago, we were sitting around the dinner dinner table, and my daughter said to me, why do you make us eat this? And I looked lovingly, one by one, into those angelic faces, and I said, because my mother made me do it. And I have been waiting for years to exact my revenge. And since I am enjoying watching you choke down those green peas, you're probably not getting out of it. (laughs) But happy Mother's Day to you. It's only fitting today of all days that we talk about a mother in the Bible. There's so many that we could choose from. I mean, we we could talk about Hannah, a godly woman who was barren, couldn't have children, which in that day was a curse, made her a laughingstock. She knelt down in the presence of God and she said, give me a son. And God gave her Samuel, one of the greatest prophets to ever live. We could talk about Mary. I mean, what better example do we have? A young Jewish girl who was fiercely passionate in her love for God. We know that because of the way she prayed. 
literally overshadowed by the presence of God to bring forth a son. And the angel said to her, you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So many that we could talk about. But today, we're going to talk about a woman that we don't talk about much. Not really in this context anyway. In fact, if it wasn't for six words in the New Testament, we wouldn't even know that she became a mother at all. You see, she's got skeletons in her closet. She's got skeletons on top of skeletons in her closet. And how many of you know when we start digging for bones in somebody's backyard, all too often we find some bones that look really similar to the ones we've got buried in our own backyard? You know what I'm talking about. But today we're going to talk about this woman because what she did not only saved her life and her family's life, but it forever altered a royal genealogy. This morning we're going to talk about Rahab. And if you would, turn with me in the Bible to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background to bring you up to speed so that you know what's going on at this point. In Genesis chapter 17, God made Abraham a promise. He told him to look out over all the land, and he said, What you see, that land of Canaan, I will give it to you as an inheritance. He said, Every place where the sole of your foot trods, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. But that hadn't happened yet at this point. Israel took a um, four-century-long detour (laughs) through a little place called Egypt. And they stayed down there as slaves for 430 years. And they began to languish under the burden that the Pharaoh had placed on them. And finally, God heard them and he delivered them with a mighty hand, with a protective hand. He brought them out. You see, redemption is a two-part process. God never brings us out of something without bringing us into something. The Bible says he brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God brought Israel out of Egypt for the purpose of bringing them into the promised land. It was never God's plan for them to wander in limbo for 40 years. But we read in Numbers what happened. They got to the edge. They looked at the promised land. They saw this city, Jericho. They saw its wall. It was 12 feet thick. They saw the people. It was fortified. They were strong. And of the 12 spies that went in to look at the land, only two came back still believing in the God that delivered them out of Egypt. And so God said, basically, well, if you don't think you can handle the problems in the promised land, let's see how you handle the problems in the desert. So for 40 years, they wandered around in a barren wasteland while God stayed with them. See, God is so merciful that he didn't leave them even though they disobeyed. How many of you are very grateful that God doesn't leave us when we disobey? He taught them in the wilderness. He trained them. He got them ready. But the ones who doubted perished in the desert. And when every one of them was was gone, God comes to Joshua and he says, It's time. Take two. Let's try this again. So that's where we find ourselves now. They are on the edge 
of God's promise for them. They are on the brink of stepping into the promised land. The only thing standing between them now is the Jordan River and that 12-foot thick wall around Jericho. Now let's read a little bit in Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Let me make a statement right there, that the first time they sent 12 and only two came back who believed in God, I find it very humorous that this time he wasn't taking any chances. He sent two, only two. And he did it privately. He didn't do it in front of everybody. So it was only two. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the women took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those pursued them had gone out, they shut the door. This is an interesting introduction to me, to this woman. The Bible says that Rahab was a harlot. Now that word to us is kind of romanticized. She was a prostitute. A hooker. That's a word that conjures up the right image in our mind. Harlot doesn't really bring it together for us. But when you say she was a hooker, she was a prostitute, oh yeah, okay, I understand where we're going with this. Most of us would have crossed the street on the other side of the road so that we were not contaminated by this woman because of the type of work that she did. You know what I'm saying. She lived in the wall. She had her own place. Now, throughout history, people have been offended by the fact that God would talk about this woman because of what she did and who she was. And they try to say, well, no, she wasn't really a prostitute. She was an innkeeper. Or she was in the service industry. She was a waitress. No. The Bible is very clear what this woman did for a living, and it wasn't serve food. Okay? Or, yeah. All right, well, (laughs) but she wasn't just the girl on the corner. There are a a segment of scholars who believe that Rahab was a priestess. The reason they say that is because at this time, the prostitutes were the priestesses in the pagan religion. So more than likely, she held a pretty high status in the land as a priestess prostitute. The Talmud, which is a a Jewish collection of historical discussions, says that there was not a high-ranking member of Jericho that didn't frequent her on a regular basis. And because of her associations, she was very intimate with the enemies of Jericho. She knew all about them. She knew about the battles. She knew about Israel. It's interesting to me that God would choose a woman like this. I mean, of all the people that he could have chosen, in all of Jericho, 
why this woman? I mean, look what she does for a living. Look what the scriptures tell us about her. She was a liar. And when these people came to her and said, bring these men out, we know they're here, she bold-faced lied to them and said, no, they're not. I, I don't, you didn't even know who they were. <laughs> they just left. Bye, see ya. I think I see them right there. There's the dust. I mean, she lied to them. Not only did she lie to them, she was a traitor to her people because this was her one chance to save Jericho. I mean, she could have turned these men over because, you know, when I think of spies, I think of the whole 007, you know, stealth and cunning, you know. These spies obviously didn't have any of that because the moment they walked into town, everybody knew they were there. And not only did everyone know they were there, they knew why they were there. Because the king says, we know they've come to spy out the land. So these guys weren't very good at being secretive. So everybody knew. But this woman had this opportunity to say, yep, they're hiding up on the roof. They're under the flax. Go get them. And save her entire country, but she didn't do it. She was a traitor. She was a liar. She was a prostitute. And of all the people that God could have chosen to protect his spies, he sent these two men to her. Why her? Let's read a little bit farther. In Joshua chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 8. And before they lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Such unlikely soil for a seed of faith to sprout, isn't it? But in this woman, there was a faith. There was something she had heard that triggered in her, I want that. I want to serve that God. That God is a true God. In the second century, a scholar by the name of Origen wrote this. As the first Joshua sent his spies before him and they were received into the harlot's house, so the second Joshua sent his forerunners whom the publicans and harlots gladly received. Kind of an interesting parallel. Something when I was thinking about this last night, actually, that popped out to me. She says in verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. If you'll think back to what you remember about that story in Numbers. The ten spies came back and they said, Yes, it's fantastic. It's flowing with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But you should see the walls in this place. You should see the people. There are giants there. There's no way we're going to be able to overtake them. But this scripture right here says that the people inside Jericho were cowering, hoping that the Israelites wouldn't come after them. They were saying, we heard how God dried up the Red Sea for you. We heard how you walked across on dry land. Any God that could perform a miracle like that, that people can destroy us. And they sat cowering behind their wall, hoping that Israel wasn't going to come after them. They said that their hearts melted within them. 
See, you're worrying about these little problems that you've got going on, and the devil is saying, oh, I hope they don't remember all the things God has done for them. I hope they don't remember the last time they couldn't pay that bill, and somehow the money came around. You know, the last time they were sick and the doctor said, you're not going to make it. You're not going to come out of this. And God brought you out. You remember that? Stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, the Bible says. Don't forget the things that he has done for you. And if the Israelites had remembered, if they could have just one time thought, you know what? He dried up an entire Red Sea for us. They would never have had any problem taking that land because the people would not have been able to stand against them. They were faint-hearted. In several of the of the places where I researched, it was funny the number of people who um, were deeply offended by the fact that God would choose a woman like this. After everything that she had done, after the lies, because, you know, we're real quick to say, well, if she were really saved at that moment, if she really believed, well, then she wouldn't have lied to, to um, the guys when they came to pick them up, right? Because you know that once you're saved, once God comes into your heart, you're never going to make another mistake again, right? You're never going to sin again. You're never going to have a problem again, ever, Right? I mean, we're real quick to point fingers at Rahab and say, you know, well, if you were really saved, you wouldn't have told that lie. But Rahab was new in her faith. And we're not going to sit and point fingers at her because she didn't get it all right. Because the truth is, we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I love the New Living Translation. It says this, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. I cannot tell you that I saved one hair of my own head, because I would be standing before you a liar. If it wasn't for what he did for me. In fact, it's not, it goes so much further than that. We always say, I found Jesus. No, you didn't. He found you. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that he pulled on, the, on your heartstrings, you would never have even come to him in the first place. Because the Bible says there's pleasure for a season in sin, right? So, I mean, we were so busy enjoying all of that, that if it wasn't for that plucking on the heartstrings, we would never have come to him at all. Charles Spurgeon, in 1857, he was a, um, a great minister, a great minister of God. And reading his sermon when he was talking about the type of faith that Rahab had, he made, he made these series of statements. He was talking about how, see, Rahab, because of what she did right here, Rahab is recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. She's listed among the ranks of Noah and Abraham. And when, when Charles Spurgeon was reading through this, he, pro- he said that of all of the ones that are listed there, hers perhaps was the greatest story of all of them because God took her from such a wretched place and transformed her into such an amazing woman. And he said this. You'll have to, you'll have to bear with me because it's in Old English. So for those of you studying Shakespeare in school, this should be really good for you. He said this, what 
Faith, didst thou fight with hideous lust? What? Wouldst thou struggle with the fiery passion which sendeth forth flame from human breasts? What? Wouldst thou touch with thy hallowed fingers foul and bestial debauchery? Yea, says faith, I did encounter this abomination of iniquity. I delivered this woman from the loathsome chambers of vice, the wily snares of enchantment, and the fearful penalty of transgression. Yea, I brought her off, saved and rescued, gave her purity of heart, and renewed in her the beauty of holiness. And now her name shall be recorded in the role of my triumphs as a woman full of sin, yet saved by faith. A woman full of sin, yet saved by faith. See, her declaration of faith in these verses that we read was all-consuming. It took over every part of her because her lie to the king's men was punishable by death. If they found out that she had lied to them, they would have taken her out in the square and hung her immediately. It was punishable by death. And in that moment, when they said, bring out the men, she really hadn't lost anything. I mean, she was a prostitute. She could, she's bringing in men all the time. So nobody was looking at her real bad for bringing them into her house. And, but it was the hiding them and lying to them. At that moment, she had to make a decision. Her faith or the ways of her people. Now, I want to make a bold statement to you right now. And you may not believe me, but I believe that it's coming. I believe that very soon there is coming a time when your declaration of faith is going to put you on the opposite side of the law. I do believe that there is going to come a time in this country and across this world when your belief in Christ is not acceptable any longer. Where will you stand when that happens? Remember what Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father. If there comes a time when it's no longer a good thing to come to church on Sundays, when it's no longer, ah, that's nice that you believe in Jesus, when it's no longer that, where will you stand? Rahab chose to stand on the side of the righteous. She chose to stand with the enemies of her people, And to make this declaration of faith, we know your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Let's keep reading. Joshua chapter 12. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have known your kindness, that you also will, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the man answered her, Our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. True faith is immediately concerned with the salvation of others, especially of her family. No sooner did she make this declaration of faith and proclaim her love for this God that she immediately said, save my family, save my friends. See, true faith understands that God didn't save you just for you. 
God didn't save you just so that you could be here and warm a seat every Sunday and every Wednesday night, or every, only every Sunday for some of you. <laughs> Amen or oh me, isn't that what it is? God didn't save you just for you. See, there are people around you who are going through things that they won't even repeat to themselves in the mirror. Do you know what I mean? They're hiding things inside, pain and brokenness so dark that they can't share it with another person. And the only one who has the answer is you. We have the answer. In all of Jericho, Rahab was the only one who had the answer. And she could have said, all right, that's it. Boy, I'm packing up my stuff and I am out of this joint. But immediately she says, save my family. Save my family. Some of you have been crying out to God for a loved one for so long. And you've been looking at them and they seem like they're farther away today than they ever were before. I have to wonder, how many times did Rahab go to her family and say, come into my house. Come be saved. Come into my house. How many times did they look at her and say, you are off your rocker. You must be crazy. Those people out there, really? They're a bunch of slaves. I mean, all they're going to do is walk around the wall. And it's going to come down? Really? Rahab, come on. Now, be serious. How many times did they poke at her? How many times did she keep going back and pleading with them and begging with them? Please come into my house. And she did not quit until every single one of them had come into her house to be saved. She did not quit. And I have a message for you. If you are standing in the gap for somebody in your family and you have not seen them come in, don't quit. Don't give up. There is a destruction coming. You have the answer. Don't let go. Don't get weary in well-doing. Keep believing that God is going to bring them in Because he is going to bring them in. It's very, very hard to run against somebody's prayers. When I know that we have, we have freedom, free will, and we can reject God anytime we want. But I will tell you this, if somebody is praying for you, the Holy Spirit will chase after you like a bumblebee until he catches you. He will keep chasing them down. He will put them in places they never thought they would be until someday they look up and come to their senses like the prodigal son and say, what am I doing in a pig slop? Someday it's going to happen if you don't quit, if you don't give up. It is, we know in 1 Timothy 2, we know it is, it says it's good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all men, even the ones you don't like, all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Ezekiel twenty two thirty, God says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. I'm pleading with you today, stand in the gap for your family. Take a stand and say, Devil, you are not having my family. If you've got children who are not serving God, Mom, don't let go. Take a stand and say, Satan, you cannot have my children. You cannot have them. 
and you continue to pray and you continue to believe. Charles Spurgeon, before he was saved, he lived like the devil. And that went, at the end of his life, he said, you know, I couldn't thank God enough now for the prayers that my mom lifted up for me because I would see her fall down on her face and say, God, save my son Charles. And then she would start to weep and he said, you couldn't help but cry with her. Be that kind of parent. Be that kind of friend. Don't let go. Stand in the gap until every one of your family are saved. Let's read in Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 15. <clears throat> then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards, you may go your way. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household into your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own heads, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. If you will tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Despite her declaration of faith, despite the promises that the spies made to her, despite her following out every instruction that they gave her, she would not have been saved without that scarlet cord in the window. Just like you can believe whatever you want to believe. You can follow a line of rules and regulations. But if it had not been for the fact that the Son of God hung on a cross and bled and died, it would all be for nothing. That scarlet cord that Rahab put her faith in, it flowed out of the Son of God for you and for me. That's where we put our faith. See, he does so many amazing things for us. None of that would be possible for us had he not broken the veil between us and the Father. See, now the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. He walks with us and he talks with us. It's a relationship. I don't have a religion. I have a relationship. I have one who stands with me in the middle of the night when it's dark and I wake up and I don't know how I'm going to do this or I, I can't see a way out of this. I'm not alone. He's with me. He's holding on to me. That's what that scarlet cord has done for me. I hold on to it. I've put my faith in it and it is bound up in my life so that everybody can see it. Everyone could see this scarlet cord hanging in Rahab's window. Everybody saw it. They may not have known why it was there, but they all saw it. Do they see it in your life? The people that you work with every day, the, the family members that you have, do they see that red cord in your life? Do they see something's a little bit different about you? 
Maybe you don't do all the things that they do. Maybe you don't go all the places. Maybe when things really bad happen, you're not quite as shaken as they are. Do they see it in your life? It was that red cord. Romans 3.25, the New Living Translation says, For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We were made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. How could God use a woman like this? How could he take a foul prostitute who was a liar and a traitor and use her? Simple. Because she was holding on to a scarlet cord. She believed. And it was what was inside of her that made her different. That's what made a change. And from that moment forward, God did something so incredible for her in her life and in her family's life that it forever changed the genealogy of our Lord and Savior. We're going to look at that in a little bit. Let's finish up the story because, see, the miracle didn't end here. Joshua chapter 6, if you'll flip over there with me. I'm going to start in verse 20, but I'm going to skip through it a little bit. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 20. So the people shouted... I mean, fill you in on the story. God told, in case you don't remember, God told the Israelites, go to Jericho. March around it one time every day. Don't say a word. Don't speak a word. March around it one day, one time a day every day. Priests are going to blow their ram's horns. On the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. And they're going to blow their horn. When they blow that horn, the walls are going to fall flat. And you're going to go in straight before you into this city. So, okay, chapter 6, verse 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpet. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted with a great shout. The wall fell down flat. Let me read that again. The wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Verse 22. But Joshua had said to the two men who spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had, so that they brought out all the relatives and left them outside the camp. Verse 25. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out the land. Now, she lived in the wall. All of her family were at her house. He told her, stay in your house. Do not come out of your house. If you go out into the street, you're going to be killed and your blood will be on your hand, on your heads. Go to your house. Her house was in the wall. The wall fell down flat. So what do I interpret that to mean? That every part of the wall fell except where she lived. 
You see, God was, the spies weren't the only ones looking for that red cord. God had his eye on that red cord. And everything around her collapsed to the ground, but not her. Because she was holding on to a scarlet cord in her life. And she said, nope, they told me that God is God. And I believe that he is God in heaven and he is God below. And I'm holding on to this red cord. I'm not leaving. There was a temptation, I'm sure, to run out into the street. Wouldn't you think? I mean, it was mass chaos. I am sure there was temptation. She had to run out into the street. But she said, no, I'm going to stay put, and I'm going to hold on to this cord, and I am not going to let go until he saves me. And the same thing is required of you. You may be looking at things that are turmoil, things tossing around each way. Your finances may be going crazy. The people in your life may be turning against you. But if you will hold on to that red cord in your life, he is going to bring you through it. Because he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Now see, we lie, even she lied, but God doesn't. And if he's given you a promise, if he's given you something, hold on. Don't let go of it. We started off this sermon talking about how we were going to talk about a mother. So let me tell you what God did for this woman, this harlot. A woman like this. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, we read the six words that tell us what became of this woman who dwelt in Israel. It says, this is the genealogy of Christ. It says, and Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. See, she married a prince of Judah, and was woven into the genealogy of Christ. Now today, that really doesn't mean much to us, okay, who my parents were, or, you know, who their parents were, grandparents. Genealogies don't really mean much to us. But back then, you were identified by who was in your family. You were identified by your family line. So think about this. Jesus not only saved this woman, but he identified himself with her by weaving her into his own genealogy. Now, the women didn't have to be put in the genealogies. I mean, you only needed the, man, the men. But there are four women who are in the genealogy of Christ and this former prostitute, former Canaanite, former pagan priestess is one of them. And he wove her in. And we know her son, Boaz. He's a central figure in the book of Ruth. The entire book of Ruth wouldn't even be in our Bible if it wasn't for her faith. I mean, think about that. And she was the great-great-grandmother of King David. What an amazing turnaround. A woman like this. And God could use her. And God can use you. I want to tell you a little story. Miss Charlotte Elliott, she was um, visiting some friends in West End, London. This was in the mid-1800s. And she met an eminent minister there by the name of Dr. Cesar Milan. And while they were seated at supper, the minister said to her, Well, I hope you're a Christian. She was a little put off by that. She was offended. 
And she said, I don't want to discuss that question. And he said, well, I'm sorry if I've offended you, but I can't help but speak a word for my master. I hope that someday you'll be a worker in his kingdom. About three weeks later, they were at a mutual friend's house. And she said to him, I haven't been able to stop thinking about what you said to me. And I've been trying to figure out how I find this Savior, this Christ that you were talking about. How do I do it? Can you tell me now? And he told her, he said, just come as you are. And she did. And she went away rejoicing. And very shortly afterward, she penned these words. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict and many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. I don't know why you came today. I don't know what brought you here, but I know who brought you here. See, I have a red cord for you. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know where you've been before here, where you're going. But I know that at this moment in time, God has sent me here to tell you there's another way. Aren't you tired of being alone? Of not having that comfort of Him with you all the time? That can all change today. Would you stand with me, please? Thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.